My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, it is my pleasure to welcome Joanne Lockwood, Inclusion and Belonging Specialist and International Keynote Speaker onto the programme. Joe is the uh, founder and CEO of Sea Change Happen, a consulting firm specialised in providing equality, diversity and inclusion advice to businesses and their employees. So without further ado, Joe, welcome to you and thanks for joining us on the programme. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this for a few months since we first started talking about it. So no, real honour to be here. Yeah, and it's an honour for me to welcome you on as well, Joe. And uh, just to sort of uh, set the scene a little bit for those listeners that might not be familiar with you, um, I suppose I'll give them the, uh, the concise version of what it is that Sea Change Happen does. So perhaps you could sort of expand upon that for us and talk, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. Um, well, I describe myself as an inclusion and belonging specialist uh, rather than a DEI specialist. So I, I focus on employee experience or people experience. So I I promote positive people experiences. So I work with uh, people, people, HR, L&D, OD, uh, D&I teams, people who work with people across sector. Um, I work throughout the UK. I have clients in Europe and I have clients in North America and Australia. So I do work quite globally and I know the challenges of DEI are different depending on territories and, and global multinational organizations have significant challenges when trying to create a, a policy that works across the, all the territories. So in, in essence, I speak, I consult, and I run workshops. So speaking is uh, keynotes. So I do a lot of stage speaking. Uh, I do lots of lunch and learns online. Um, it's quite popular at the moment with the corporates, lunch and learn. Um, and also I do a lot of fireside chat. So roll your sleeves up, have a chat, uh, ask me anything type sessions mainly around transgender awareness, but sometimes I get involved with inclusive recruitment in that area as well. And in terms of workshops, I've traditionally half day, full day, either on site or online. And I also consult around best practice, uh, inclusive recruitment best practices, inclusive leadership best practice, and also when I help develop policy around trans awareness, trans inclusion to business as well. And I suppose the importance of the work that you're doing is around the fact that a lot of businesses at the moment are essentially making their workforces more diverse, but there is the danger of falling into the trap, isn't there, that just having a diverse workforce and maybe not necessarily doing the follow-up work with that could essentially lead to it being nothing more than a box-ticking exercise, and that's essentially what you're sort of hoping to help sort of businesses and organisations avoid, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my, my view is that inclusion and belonging culture are the bedrock. And if we're not careful, we end up focusing on diversity without fixing the problem. You know, we're bringing new fish into a dirty tank. What we're finding we're doing is bringing people in. The culture is not right. The, the leadership culture is not right. We're trying to recruit more women, but the board mentality, the board isn't accepting of women in leadership with roles. There's no progression paths. We're trying to recruit more black people, brown people from uh, various backgrounds. And we're not seeing these people staying. We find that when they come into the organization, it's like a revolving door. They're coming in the front door, going, yuck, it's horrible in here. Let's get out the back door. Uh, we see it all the time. Uh, organizations are trying to be tokenistic or trying to hire their way out of a diversity problem where the reality is they have a culture problem. And that starts at the top. You know, It starts at the top. The tone that leadership sets 
um, but it's from, the, from the chair of the board through to this chief exec, COO, etc. They set the tone for the organisation, and if they're well, we can see it in the news right now. We're, we're end of November 2022. The Elon Musk style of leadership mm. is is dividing, not conquering, not dividing and conquering. So what we're seeing here is, I think the workforce today expect better of leaders. COVID was a, a real game changer. Mm. It, it brought the concept of well-being, uh, belongingness, um, employee engagement, employee experience, right to the forefront. I think what what's happened is we've got a short memory. And many organizations are just trying to shoehorn people back into the room without truly understanding the, the value that we're getting out of people when they're working remotely. And it does suit different people. We know that. And uh, I'm not saying one size fits all. Some people do benefit from being face-to-face. Some people have been very productive when they're working remotely. So, yeah, I think leaders need to think about the, the tone and the culture they're trying to set, then come on to, yeah, I hate the word diversity, hiring. It's hiring with an accessibility in mind, hiring by being uh, appealing to people from various different backgrounds. So the, the whole employer branding, the whole recruitment marketing, the whole company persona has to reflect the fact that it's a safe place for you to come and work. And I can see that reflected in the current workforce, the stories that people tell, um, how employees engage in social media, what they say about the company. All those things are part of the employer branding package. And I think then we can start thinking about, okay, let's go to market now, knowing that we are match fit and fit for purpose. Do you think that sometimes it's businesses that are predominantly run by sort of older individuals that perhaps sort of can't reconcile the two and are having sort of this this culture problem? Is it, It's not necessarily something that you would sort of um, attribute to sort of a younger up-and-coming entrepreneur, is it? No, I, I think you're right. And I'm, I'm not wanting to stereotype. Mm. Yeah, we've all got this vision in our head of the older white male uh, sitting around a boardroom table. And I, I don't want to—I don't want to stereotype because I know fantastic leaders who are white men mm. um, in their fifties and sixties who are doing amazing work. So it's not stereotype, but there is there is often a culture of the status quo. The it's not—it's not that people don't want to be diverse or inclusive. They just think they are, but they—they're they, they, only looking from a from a, if you like a, a satellite view down, looking at the world, thinking. It all looks flat from here. But when you're at the bottom looking up, you see the hills, you see the mountains, you see see the valleys and all the, the landscape and terrain, which isn't often visible from above. So I think it's we need leaders to be open to conversations. And I think we also need change experts, for want of a better way of calling it, who are able to engage with people where they are. Rather than attack their castle with pitchforks, we, sometimes we need the collaborative approach to try and change hearts and minds in a, in a kind of, uh, in a more, in a more inclusive way. Cause I, I'm a great believer in saying, you know, we, we can't be inclusive by excluding people. So we need to include the people in power who have privilege, who are maybe the incumbents, the monoculture. We need to encourage them to come on this journey with everybody else because power and privilege create change. Minority unheard voices cannot leverage change on their own. We need to we need to change the hearts and minds of people who hold the power and privilege. That's the challenge we have. 
And that that's key, isn't it? The uh, the mini- the minority unheard voices that you talked about there, because sometimes I think where we sort of see these cultures starting to manifest, where you know diversity and inclusion aren't at the forefront, it's sometimes more what business leaders aren't doing rather than what they are doing that sort of contributes to those cultures, isn't it? And so they might think that they're doing the right things, but in fact maybe you have somebody on the board who is a woman or who is a black person, and they feel that even though they are there. And, you know, their demographic is essentially ticked off on the uh, the board and the uh, the sort of the leadership of the uh, the business. They may not necessarily feel that their voice is being heard. And that is part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, we, we, we see this. Uh, we heard, heard the term glass ceiling where it's hard for people from minority backgrounds or minority backgrounds to break through, especially women and black people. We've also got this glass cliff where you get to the top there and you find yourself out, out of kilter with everybody else. You're not getting pushed out. You know, it's the old adage, you, you hired me because I was different, but you fired me because I wasn't the same. Um, often people don't want to feel that challenge in, in the boardroom. So it, it does take a, a very progressive board who are really committed to it. And, and when I engage with companies, I start by challenging them to find their why of DNI. Why does it really matter to them as not just as a business, the individual members of that board. What's what's in it for them? Why are they trying to commit? If they, if they say, oh, we, we look at our demographics, we need to hire more women into senior leadership roles. Why is that? Is it because you should? Because the numbers say so? Or is there a why? Uh, a business benefit, a human benefit, and a compliance benefit. And I, I often talk about the, you think about Aristotle and the three pillars of Cicero, you know, Lagos, ethos, and pathos. There's the logic, there's the emotion. There's also the compliance element of that. And I think we have, to, we have to appeal to all of those and show that actually the human side, getting it right for people, actually has a, bit, a business benefit as well as a compliance element. So we're not losing out on the business benefit. We're more representative of our clients, we're more innovative. All these things that Gartner keep telling us and producing these stats. And the trouble is the facts don't change people. We drive too fast, we eat too much red meat, we do the wrong things all the time, but we know we shouldn't. We know in business we should be doing things, but we don't because we're in our comfort zone. We don't want to get into stretch. We've got other business priorities going on, and we're kind of doing okay. So often, often DEI is seen as an overhead. It's not seen as a business benefit. It's it's uh, training investment is seen as uh, something that's cut in a recession, which we're in now. Um, and there's often a belief that well, people want a job, they'll just put up with things and. Um, I like to think the workforce is becoming smarter and not not going to fall into that trap anymore. I completely agree. Yes, I mean we're seeing the uh, the sort of the demands um, of the workforce starting to change, aren't we? And certainly since the pandemic, people I think have become a lot more sort of concerned with the why. They're far more purpose driven, and if they're working at businesses where you know it's clear that it's not sort of aligning with their own values we're going to see a lot more of this sort of quiet quitting aren't we we've seen a lot of noise and Mm. heard a lot of noise about the great resignation and I suppose if um, from a business perspective if you're not sort of putting sort of values very much at the forefront of what you're doing that's the material risk to you isn't it you could see a real exodus within your workforce because people's priorities are starting to change for sure for sure and work-life balance is important family Mm. is important and we start, you know, we, we've got Gen Z emerging into the workforce now and taking some of the, well, past the graduate, they're now in their 20s, so they're, they're starting to get to become part of the junior workforce. Gen Zs aren't turned on by command and controls type management. They want collaborative management. They want empowerment. They want to be able to make decisions on their own. 
they're going to vote with their feet quite quickly. And if we think about the emerging talent of Gen Alpha coming through, they're going to be even more keen to, to work in a collaborative environment. And I think if we're looking to move our workforce planning, looking at a 5, 10, 15-year workforce planning uh, agenda, then we've got to plan for Gen Z being in their 30s and 35-year-olds, so middle management, junior management. Those people are going to want a, a different world of work. And you know, the, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers like myself, will be getting to the end of our sell-by date, and we've got to recognize that we have to change. It's not on the younger generation's responsibility to change and meet us. It's our responsibility, the older generation, to reach down, build that bridge so that uh, we relate to our new emerging workforce. We just sit in our ivory tower and say, well, they'll just have to get used to it. We'll find that different companies will, will, will embrace it and become more successful. And we, we're not embracing it. We'll find a harder challenge to uh, retain the best talent. And that's not just sort of with relation to the workforce, is it? Because we're seeing as well that consumer spending habits are starting to change. And when we're seeing the Gen Z going out into the marketplace and being consumers, purpose dictates sort of their choices as well. So you've got that risk of losing out from sort of the commercial perspective as well. Mm. Um, if, you know, you're not putting these things um, sort of at the forefront of what you're doing. Yeah, and that's completely true. We've got to think about, we think about values and mission and purpose of our organization. It's got to come with a level of ethical considerations. You know, mm. planet, we've got COP27 just, just finishing. We've got people complaining that it wasn't tough enough on the climate controls and the fossil fuel limitations. If you're working for a, a company that isn't talking about being carbon neutral, isn't talking about energy saving, isn't talking about recycling, isn't talking about these things, then people are going to start looking and going, well, hang on a minute, do I really want to work for a gas-guzzling company that wants to fly me all over the world all the time? Or do I want to work for a company that embraces agile, flexible working practices, sustainable product development, et cetera, et cetera? So I think we have to go beyond just what the what the people we perceive people want, but to truly understand the values that are aligned. And I think you know, even look at companies like Philip Morris, who we demonize for tobacco, we look at BP and Shell and some of those big oil companies. They're investing, well, many, many millions in sustainable products that aren't what they've traditionally been associated with. And in fact, they're, they're divesting in some of those traditional old-style um, polluting uh, streams of, of, uh, of revenue. I think when you're inside those companies, you, you understand that change is happening from the outside. Maybe they're not communicating well enough. But yeah, I know people who work for BP, and they're doing some phenomenal work on sustainability and environmental issues and, and investing into those projects. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, that's the message we need to get out there. You can't just live with your head under a rock doing things you've always done. You've got to start thinking about more than just people. You've got to think about the planet. You've got to think about the values. You've got to think about how you align and what your brand stands for. Exactly right. And do you think sometimes that there might be a little bit of a fear of sort of really broadcasting the good work that some businesses are doing because maybe there is the fear of, oh, they might be hit with the greenwashing label or something along those lines. Do you think that there's maybe a little bit of sort of – um aversion there to a degree because maybe they're sort of afraid of criticism I, I think that goes right across the board in terms of DEI these, these sort of values it's, it's fear of saying or doing the wrong thing or mm. being accused of being woke being accused of being overly PC or being accused of being tokenistic as you say greenwashing pinkwashing blackwashing whatever whatever washing is, is seen as tokenistic and I, I agree there are some companies who are just painting their logos different colours uh, and claiming it but there are some organizations who are genuinely engaging with their teams, engaging with their colleagues, 
and making real inroads. Look, we can't criticize everybody. You know, we're the World Cup, football World Cup, men's football World Cup kicked off yesterday. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about Qatar and the, um, the, 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 the workers who died, slavery conditions, the LGBTQ rights, the uproar about serving beer. Um, and yeah, it, a lot of companies are all shock horror, but they're still going. They're still backing it. They're still not, they're still not walking with their feet. Um, and I, I can feel a mood of the country. You just wake up and listen to the radio, listen to the TV about it. And the coverage is, is muted. There is a, there's a real understanding that this isn't, doesn't seem to be a happy game. Yes, if you're passionate about football, you are there. But I've, I've just noticed a different tone on the BBC. It's more somber than mm. I've ever experienced it. And that is the mood of the country. It is absolutely right. And there needs to be some understanding of, uh, of issues like this, doesn't there? And I suppose if we're thinking about sort of looking at a country such as Qatar and trying to essentially make sure that, you know, we hold them to the standards that we've set ourselves, that we're also, you know, reflecting that in business and we're making sure that, you know, we are very much practicing exactly what we preach. That's the important thing, isn't it? That we kind of set that example from a global perspective. Completely. And, you know, just looking at the UK, I mean, we, we criticise Qatar for their LGBTQ plus rights, but right in the middle of LGBTQ plus is the T. And what we're doing with trans people in the UK is, is abhorrent as well. We're demonizing. We've got the Tory leadership contest in the summer was, who was a race to the bottom, who could be the most transphobic or the most anti-trans. Uh, and even the current government tone, they're being doorstep by journalists who are pushing them on their trans rights issues. And rather than saying, I'm pro-trans, they're backing off and saying, oh, it's all complicated. And they're also prepared to stand up and say something because they're very they're scared of getting it wrong, scared of being demonized by, by lobby groups. And I think we've got to, we've got to recognize that it's, it's, it's a toxic world, not just in Qatar. Uh, there's a toxic world for different people in different countries. And yes, we, we've plowed lots of resources into helping Ukraine and the refugee crisis there, quite rightly so. But where were we with the, um, the refugees in Syria from, from Eritrea and Ethiopia, where were we, where were we when uh, those conflicts were going on in Afghanistan? We weren't opening our doors saying, please come here, refugees. So we've got good refugees and bad refugees. Again, we've got double standards. We're shipping people off to Rwanda. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying the rights are wrong, but turning people away in boats who are trying to come from uh, uh, the east of Europe at the moment. So it's a, it's a tough challenge, but we've got to be careful about our own human rights. And the current government is, is talking about exiting the European Court of Human Rights, uh, rolling back employment protections, working on directives. So we're certainly not white and white here. And I think we've got to, we've got to, somehow we've got to stand up for this as well in our country. If, if we're not protesting as individuals. We're complicit in letting it pass. Exactly right. And uh, from the leadership perspective, just because uh, you mentioned again there that maybe there's a fear of, you know, getting it wrong and being criticised, to really instigate real change, it's going to take bravery from leaders, isn't it? Leaders have to essentially be able to face whatever criticism might come their way and essentially pursue, well, what's right to bring this change. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, many models of inclusive leadership, uh, one of those is, is generally courage. The mm. cognizance of bias, courage, commitment to values. And I think, yes, you need to get, sometimes you need to get out of your safe zone, out of your comfort zone, into stretch. You know, you know force, force people to panic here. But you need, to, you need to be comfortable getting uncomfortable and having these tough conversations. And the other, one of the other elements of uh, inclusive leadership is, is around uh, cultural intelligence. So being aware 
of the nuances of different people's identities and their cultures so that you can make smarter decisions and then collaborate and then work work on this as an inclusive leader. I think all too often people are just paralyzed by the fear of change or the fear of standing up. Well, if I say I'm pro-LGBT rights, what will people think of me? It's almost like this it's almost internalized in their own homophobia or their own transphobia. Maybe maybe the they're scared to be seen as someone who can support these things because people look at them and, and uh, as, as a as a negative way. And men accused of supporting women's rights are saying, "Well, why are you supporting women's rights? What's wrong with you?" It's kind of it's this majority supporting the minority voice, and it's uh, it's not very masculine to have these kind of views. I think maybe we police people back into their box a bit too often. Yeah, I think it's the inertia comes from fear, doesn't it, I guess? And it comes from fear of being judged. And it's this is essentially what leaders need to be able to uh, to overcome if we are to really see the change that we do need to see. I mean, it's going to take bravery and it's going to take actual, you know, sort of sticking by values. Mm. And as we sort of see the uh, the current situation unfolding with uh, the ongoing World Cup, as you mentioned, and the various issues that we do need to address, certainly within uh, within our own borders. Um, just over the uh, the next year, Joe, I was wondering if you sort of personally had any kind of your own personal milestones as you sort of seek to help leaders overcome some of these uh, some of these great hurdles. Um, I think for me, it, it, one of the core and key skills of a leader is emotional intelligence and cultural awareness, cultural intelligence, as well as vulnerability and humility. So I, I think it's it's creating environments where leaders can explore those elements of their of their personality, their thinking style, their leadership style. Uh, too often, we we promote people into leadership roles without giving them the adequate training. So what, what I really want to do is encourage organisations to pick great people based on EQ, CQ, vulnerability, humility, those soft skills, and work on nurturing those things. So we end up with a, a culture where that is that is allowed. You know, that way, leaders don't feel vulnerable by showing humility, that they that they can admit mistakes, they can, they can say to their workforce that I'm not perfect, I don't have all the answers, I wanna work with you, I wanna to listen to you. Um, whereas, I think some of the you know, the incumbent model is more. I, I'm invincible. I know right. You will do as I say, and I think that's what we need to move on. So my vision for the next yeah, 12, 24, 36 months is the leadership tier in our organisations, whether that's at the top or we're all the way through. We're valuing those soft skills more and more and more, mm. and we're not just promoting um, technicians who are good. Um, academics that are fantastic we're, we're promoting people who are professional leaders and and frowning on what i would call the gifted jerk you know if somebody in an organization seems to be invincible because they are the best salesperson the best engineer the best quality the, the best production line person on the quality if they're not delivering it on the emotional and the human side as well then they need to be looked at they need to be spoken to they need to be trained managed or um invited to find a more, more suitable for them somewhere else. Because if we keep employing people that aren't working in that way, the culture, the culture in the organization will always be toxic. 
Exactly right. People need those soft skills in positions of leadership now. Simply being good at what you do isn't enough anymore. We need to sort of foster that real inclusive leadership and leaders need the soft skills to be able to, you know, work with their people, get the best out of them and make it very clear that, you know, I'm considering your well-being. I'm hearing your voice and, you know, I'm also showing my own vulnerabilities as a leader as well, because I think that authenticity is also incredibly important. And the other thing I see often is leaders have got so much call on their time and that what can tend to happen is the people and the culture element of their, their role isn't prioritised as much as maybe the technical or the operational side of their role. So we've got to put culture first, we've got to put people first. And a leader's primary role has to be to, to motivate and inspire their people and give time to their people, not people as an article. I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at how we, we balance the, the, the load on leaders to make sure they're not stressed, they're not overworked, they're not, they see people as a, as a core driver, not as an inconvenience. Now, how often do we hear people say, God, leadership is so easy if it wasn't for the people? Mm. You think, hang on a minute, that's the wrong way around. Leadership should be focused on the people. Leadership would be easy if it wasn't for all the technical things we have to do as well, the operational side. That's exactly it, isn't it? It's about recognising that, you know, your people are not an inconvenience. They are the team that is going to essentially make you the leader that you are. You are only as good as that team that you assemble around you. And I think sometimes when it comes to sort of being dragged into the hectic sort of day-to-day of the uh, the job, Sometimes it's easy to forget that, isn't it? And as leaders, I think we'd certainly mm. do well to remember it for certain. And um, just for anybody that is tuning into the uh, the podcast today, um, if you, you know, what we have discussed does particularly resonate with you and you would like to find out a little bit more about uh, Jo herself and the work that she does, um, seechangehappen.co.uk is probably the best port of call for that, isn't it, Jo? And they can find out a lot more there. Yeah, or um, seek me out on LinkedIn. If you search for Joanne Lockwood, Jo Lockwood on LinkedIn, uh, I, I, I rank pretty high. Actually, if you Google my name, I, I splatter myself over the first few pages as well. But seachangehappen.co.uk is a good starting point. Absolutely fantastic. And it's a real shame that we're starting to uh, essentially run short of time uh, because uh, I could certainly um, speak to you about this uh, topic all day, Joe, and it's been really sort of inspiring and eye-opening from uh, from my perspective. And I think certainly um, the listeners are going to share that sentiment as well. But before I do let you go, um, if you could actually sort of sit a young entrepreneur in front of you who is maybe about to start their own business and maybe give them one piece of advice to get them on the right track to success, let's say. What piece of advice would you would you give them? I think if you're a founder in a startup, I think starting with thinking about a diverse set of advisors. You know, in the early stage, we can't, we can't necessarily afford to employ people uh, but what we can do is, is seek advice from people. Make sure that the people who we seek advice from have a broad and diverse range of views possible um, to help you with product design, help you with uh, your business evolution. And then when you start hiring people, make sure you hire people with complementary skills and, and diverse skills to yourselves. And then build that, break that into the foundations where people come first and you value people. And you also, I think as a founder, giving time for yourself to be a fantastic leader as well and not stress yourself out working on the product all the time. Think about working with your people as a priority. And it's showing them the development pathway, isn't it? I think leadership today, it needs to have some element of development to it as well. And I think that goes for not just your colleagues, but also yourself, willingness to understand that every single day is a school day and that you are developing every day as a leader in your own right. 
touch points. You know, you don't have to be on top of people, micromanaging people. Just some check-ins. How are you doing? Any blockers I can help with? Those kind of things. Are you okay? Are you really okay? You know, not everyone's okay every day. And reacting in a way that is is conducive to helping those people get, overcome those challenges. Not seeing someone who's having a challenge as, as being unproductive. See them as a potential more productive person if you treat them right, look after them, nurture them, uh, and get them back on track. And uh, it, sometimes it just needs a couple of days out. Just okay, take time. See you Friday. Chill, relax. Need a bit more time. That's fine. Exactly right. Food for thought for any leader in any walk of life that may be tuning into this. And just to remind you as well, um, if you do have um, your own comment to leave or your own question to ask regarding the issues that we have discussed today, um, you are able to do that directly to us via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. And any questions that you leave us directed to Joe, will of course forward on. And um, if you did want to bring your own uh, perspective directly to the uh, the discussion table and sit down with me on the uh, the podcast, you can do so via leaderscouncil.co.uk uk forward slash apply and apply to be on the program yourself that would be the best port of call for you there uh, for now joe thanks ever so much for taking the time to join us on today's program it's been an immense pleasure welcome you with us and i'm sure the listeners like i say share that uh, that's feeling with me and uh, by all means do take care and i'm sure we'll catch up on the uh, the show soon it'd be great to maybe uh, look at speaking again at some point in the next year when we see just how far edi is uh, really going in the workplace in these changing times Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed it and I look forward to any of the listeners making contact. It would be fantastic. It's been fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, to all that are tuning into the programme, I do hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed my interview today with inclusion and belonging specialist, Joe Lockwood. And um, as always, I've been your host, Scott Challoner, on today's episode of the Leaders' Council podcast. And until next time, when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership, I hope you've enjoyed hearing all things diversity, inclusion and equality on today's show. Until next time all. Take care and goodbye.